This is Women Authors of Achievement Podcast, episode 47 with guest Jenny Saft. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Suvorova, and welcome to today's conversation. In 2019, Jenny turned 32. With no partner, no desire to have kids anytime soon, she decided to freeze her eggs. But the issue started to arise even before she found a fertility clinic. Long story short, this experience encouraged her to kick off her own startup called April. According to April, in Germany, over 50% of women with academic education do not have kids at age of 35. And it's been Jenny's mission to educate companies on the huge social challenges infertility may bring. Today, we also speak about Jenny's time working closely with the management board at Deutsche Telekom, her life in San Francisco, and how she's planning to build more inclusive workplaces in Europe. If you don't want to miss out on the next episode release, then you should most definitely subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Jenny, welcome to the studio. You are the first guest on the show with whom I will explore and understand why infertility is such a major problem topic in Europe and also why fertility and family planning benefits should be top priority items for companies to retain and attract talent. Such exciting topic. Thank you so much for coming to the studio today. Thanks, Daria, for inviting me. Interestingly enough, San Francisco was the place you were craving for early in your career. And even San Francisco won over you for a couple of years where you were working in the startup scene. I would love to know why were you so interested in working in the United States while having a very successful career with lots of potential and growth in Germany working at Deutsche Telekom? Yeah, that's a, a very interesting question. Um, I think for me, for some reason, you know, you said like, why was it so important or kind of interesting to work in the US? I think right. it was not about the US. I think it was specifically San Francisco, Silicon Valley. I think super early on, uh, also in my career, I started working with, you know, people that lived and kind of worked in San Francisco in the Silicon Valley. And they always came from these like super cool companies and they talked about innovation. I'm not sure like how it is for you, but there's something that sparked inside of me. Every time I heard people like telling these stories on like how like new things came up and like how they developed this software and this like new marketplace. I was like, wow, like, you know, working at Deutsche Telekom, like a company that is, there's a lot of bureaucracy. It's like very long development cycles. And I was working there in the innovation department, so to say, and still I felt like this is so slow, kind of still like had a great time there, but like it was so slow. And every time I heard like people talking about again, San Francisco I was like, wow, this is like, this must be this shiny, cool place. And yeah. And so eventually I was a trainee at Deutsche Telekom. And like I had a chance very early on, I think I was 22 at the time, uh, to kind of go to San Francisco for a three, four month uh, kind of time frame. Um, what a coincidence. I mean, I mean, I, of course, pushed it, right? Okay. I was like, okay, I always had this in my in my head. And then this opportunity came up. And I was like, okay, I definitely that's, that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And I think then for the very first time, I kind of arrived. And there's also some, I think there's every person has a certain place where they feel connected immediately. And for me, like I arrived, I still remember like the first time I flew into San Francisco, like when you fly and you, you kind of like over the bridge 
and you see it and you're like okay like for me there was just like little hearts coming out of my out of my head oh. it's just like amazing and ever since i think i i really fell in love with the city uh with the vibe like this whole okay you have this like networking and you you, you meet all these super smart people uh, and so much is happening all the innovation are coming out of it of course it's also a bubble right i mean i learned that later on but like um i think that's where where my like love for the city came from and so Of course, I had to go back at that time after four months, but then I made the decision for myself that I want to go back eventually. And then I went back. I realized I also wanted to do my MBA that was still on my bucket list as well. And I kind of combined it. I still had to work two years to get access even for, for an MBA. Usually you have to work like four years full time. And so I did this, did the GMAT, kind of applied also like a, at a small school, a business school that had like a like a branch in San Francisco. And so I got accepted there, I got a little bit of a scholarship and then the rest is kind of history. So I moved there and after a year of like studying, I also realized this is totally where I need to be. I want to stay there, started looking for jobs and then also was super lucky um, that I got a job at a German ad tech company called Fiber back then. And it was a crazy story as well because um, um, I worked for the CEO yeah, at that com company. At that company, so, so it's a German company in San Francisco. Exactly, and mm -hmm. the, pretty much the management team kind of they were split like half of it. Half of them were in mm -hmm. Berlin, the other half in in San Francisco. So I worked for the CEO and the company. They, I mean, they went public. Um, they acquired three companies. So especially after doing my MBA, like it was like this crazy time where suddenly everything you learned you were able to apply. Like, and it's like you know the learning curve that I had there was like insane it's like all these tasks that like they asked me to do and they were like yeah we now have to do like a we um are listed at the stock exchange exchange so we have to kind of do all the reportings uh, we kind of have to set up a proper yeah management meeting and all these things so for me it was like super interesting to do this execute it and, and really see the learning curve there as well that's cool and then you stayed for a couple of years right Yeah, so in total I stayed, I was in, in the city for three years, so working there for two years, and I would have loved to stay longer. Unfortunately, I didn't get the visa I needed to stay, so the company tried to sponsor me twice, actually, and it was such a big, uh, yeah, it was so painful for me because I really loved being there because... I mean, I also started surfing there. It's just like the lifestyle I had was like really amazing. And of course, in the beginning, I think the city is very like you go to all these like meetups and you you kind of think like, oh, it's like all these companies. I want to I want to learn more. And after a while, you realize, okay, it's a bubble like everyone's just cooking with water as well and um, uh, after a while I also discovered you know it's like so nice in nature to have the nature around you to go to Lake Tahoe and Yosemite and do the ocean and kind of just do all these things so I really enjoyed like being there I pretty much for two years commuted between Berlin and San Francisco which was mm -hmm. also kind of something I always wanted because I thought okay having best of both worlds in a way right. but yeah after then Uh, two years of working, like the visa situation got really intense. Um, and that was in 2016, uh, also when Trump got elected. And uh, so I decided, okay, I, I don't want to do this like in between anymore. I want to I want to buy furniture and I want to kind of know where, where I'll be in the long run. And so moved back then to, to mm -hmm. Berlin. And when you moved back to Germany, what were the main lessons that you took with you from working in San Francisco, being in this innovative explorative hub of the world it's a bit more complicated but like i had a little bit when i moved back i actually got a job offer in cologne at a, uh, at a company called ströer <laughs> and it was like a i pretty much 
took the job because they said like we pretty much pay you your US salary you pretty much we're like almost like a startup you know we also acquire a lot of companies you can pretty mm -hmm. much do exactly what you've done in your previous job super cool we're super agile and then even if you you come to Cologne for now but if you don't like it you can also move to Berlin let's see and so I thought okay well I have nothing to lose so I started the job I moved back and I the first day I went to the office in Cologne I was like oh shit this is like, I don't belong here. This is not it. This is not it. Oh. And it's not because like, I, I mean, I don't want to say the company was bad or Stroh was bad. It's just like, I realized I don't fit in anymore because like what I learned in San Francisco was, is like, I needed this, like culture was so important for me. Mm -hmm. Like how you interact, how you set up your, co your company culture, how you interact with people, what you provide to them, like the type of people you let in, like the, the, the management style. It's like so many small things. And that's why like I quit that job very quickly after, after a few months, pretty much because I said like, it doesn't, it doesn't work out. And I moved to Berlin because I think for me, Berlin is the only city in Germany, where you have this pretty much like international vibe, this like also mindset on how to set up how that or the fact that culture is super important. Mm -hmm. And it's also like, if you have the right culture, you also attract the right people. And just like this is like just attracts more people that you want to be with. And I think this was this was just like a, a crazy learning. It's like very hard to go back to a kind of like stiff German culture it's like something it's not bad it's like i think the culture i didn't fit in in their culture not the other way around so and, and i just had to learn this for myself but i think now that's why i also yeah in the end decided i quit that job there and said like here my next role i actually don't care about the salary i don't care about the job title anymore all I want is like a really cool company um, with, that has a cool culture that is not public yet. Ideally, is headquartered in in Europe, and so I pretty much applied to random jobs everywhere at all the companies that I found interesting. One of them was Adyen back then. Yeah, so it was it. <laughs> yeah, you found the match. Yeah, pretty much. And it, it, I think it was a super funny first uh, interview with the country manager back then. <laughs> we pretty much talked about uh, the the fact that I don't fit into Stroer for like an hour. And at the end of the of the discussion, it was I said like, look, I really like what you're doing, but I have no idea of payments. I've never done it was a sales role. I've never done sales before. But I, really, I think it's 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 really cool. And the country or the hiring manager said, "Well, Jenny, I think this could be a good match." <laughs> Interesting. Like, and I was like, "Oh wow, let's do this!" And yeah, and so this was pretty much also the best thing that happened to me uh, since I then moved back. I think everything always happens for a reason, right? Um, and I joined Adyen, yeah, in 2017 initially as a partnerships manager, kind of an indirect sales role, mm -hmm. and then moved to sales uh, later on. And I learned so much, even though it was super hard for me coming from a role where I've done so much more from a strategic perspective, right? Like sales yeah. is not so strategic. It's like I had so much more responsibility before. And then I was kind of in that team where like in Germany, we were like four or five sales managers mm -hmm. and be, be pretty much like five years younger dudes kind of had to tell me how to do my job. Because I had no idea, right? I didn't know how to do sales before. And back then I was like, oh, yeah, really, I can I start again. But it was actually like a coolest learning curve ever. Um, and I'm super grateful. And I think the, this was, I think sales is one of the most crucial skills you need also when you want to become a founder. 
uh, when you just want to start your own company. And I think this is what most people you see. Have. Everything, everything came together everything sort of came logically. Together. But I love how the culture. When you said, I mean, you always felt there was something like a calling, and then after leaving in the states in San Francisco for three years, you kind of in, completely took this with you and recreated your new self. But before we talk about also ADN, it's interesting because you were closely with the management board early in your career and you said strategy a couple of times, but you also started as an executive assistant and you got to see like how company works from the very broad perspective very early on. And I wanted to know about this experience and how did that equip you when you started working for all those companies and you picked up completely new roles further in your career? At Deutsche Telekom, like I did this dual study program, right? It's like this program where um, after school, when you, after high school, you you pretty much apply for the company and then they pay all your study fees while you work for them. So for three years, I saw like the company like the, from different angles at different stations, so to say. And then after I graduated, like we all had to apply for full-time jobs because I mean, they paid for, for our education. So they expected us to kind of work for them as well. And like they, we had like, predefined jobs that we could do but then there was another job uh, portal for like normal employees and there I saw like a role that was called like you know executive assistant or kind of um, um, board member support what it was called back then and I was like mm, interesting role and then I saw okay you're reporting to the back then it was the COO later on the CTO chief technology and innovation officer and I saw him speak at a like all hands meeting. And it was all this, also this American guy. And he talked about like innovation and he had this like crazy, like aura. And it was like, wow, like how cool would it be to kind of work for him? And then I realized that's kind of the role, the job description that I saw was actually working for him. I was like, okay, I'm not supposed to apply for this position because like I'm supposed to apply for like very early student position, but I'm still going to do it. <laughs> and so I applied. And funnily enough, like the, the hiring manager was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to invite you. And we had like a few interviews and in the end she said like, I'm going to make this happen. And so I kind nice. of skipped uh, skipped a lot of like uh, steps in between um, and really started. I mean, this like role was like a, you know, it's like there was a chief of staff, my, my, my boss, so to say, like we were a team of I think five or six people just kind of managing like the board members like workload every day. And I, I think I was one of the youngest executive assistants back then, again, 22, I think. My role was also the one that with the least responsibility from everything, but still it was like so interesting to work directly with someone that is managing like, I don't know, a hundred thousands of, of people, so Crazy. to say. It was yeah. like really interesting. Um, you know, it's like we the, the the responsibility was everything from what's the what's the, the innovation cycle at Deutsche Telekom? What are the new technology layers we're investing in? It's like really like billions of investments for like new bandwidth stuff and so on. So it was like really interesting kind of just to see sitting in the board meetings with... with Amazing. Like with I said, the best uh, career Kickstarter someone can have. <laughs> it, it, it was just like a, a super cool just learning curve in the beginning to see like how people, other people make decisions um, and how they're still just normal people, right? In the end, it's like... Um, they still have yeah, their wives and their husbands uh, and they're still kind of like back then they had Blackberries. They were still kind of texting secretly Blackberries and uh, messaging under the table. <laughs> um, and it was like, and we could see like we had access to their email accounts so we could see what, what they were messaging back and forth. So it was like a really funny situation. Yeah, I think it was like, it was a good experience, but I had, it's nothing you can do forever. 
I think this was, I did the role for like two years and I realized I need to kind of become and still need to own a certain topic. They always said like, you have to go into the function at some point. Otherwise you, you're going to be this like assistant forever. I think how you were always conscious about your decisions and, and working hard and going forward with your dreams. I love that approach. And back to ADN and actually a very interesting personal story that uh, you have. In 2019, you decided to undergo egg uh, freezing. And I was wondering if you could share that story and also how that personal experience and why you did, had that personal experience and how that led you to starting your own company, April, which is a fertility benefits platform. So I know I started from far away, but <laughs> I think there's a, a lot of connection in yeah. the story. Yeah. So like, as I said, like, Adian was a super an, an amazing like thing that happened to me um, because I think back then I wasn't even aware like what is what's happening with the company and I joined them pretty much a year before they went public and you know we all had options in the company which is I think great I think every company should do this this is uh, this is great to kind of do to let your employees feel the success of the company and yeah and so it's like I was really enjoying it I w was getting better at like my job as well and so the years went by you know and then suddenly it was 2019 I turned 32 no partner also didn't see myself with kids anytime soon I was like hmm, well I made some money now like with this IPO kind of what am I doing with the money I probably invested in myself and freeze my ex and this is something it's a topic for me that I probably also connected to my time in San Francisco because there it was super normal for women to do this uh, because the topic was so much more normalized. And uh, so for me, it's like, I can't even explain why I thought this or where this thought came from. For me, it was like a super rational decision. Hey, there's this option that, that gives me like more flexibility in my future. I want to do this. But I was super naive and I thought, okay, where do I do this? Probably at my gynecologist. So I made an appointment, I was kind of nervous that day and I said, like, okay, I'm going to go there, I'm going to start. So I went there and so I sat down and I was like, so I made a decision, I want to do this, today I want to freeze my eggs. And then she looked at me and was like, you know that you have to find a fertility clinic to do this. And I was like, what? Like, I was really disappointed. I was like so excited before I thought that this is happening today. You thought it was like an easy process, I, like I, you just walk in and it's done. I had no idea, nothing. Like, I really, I thought it's probably cost 5,000 euros and that's it. And then I, I go... Yeah, that was like a little bit the moment like uh, where I realized, okay, obviously I have no idea how it works. Obviously I have no idea of how my body actually works, where I needed to go, what it costs, like the entire process. And so I started then, of course, looking for a fertility clinic uh, that was also very interesting because you just Google and then you're on your on your own. Like, how do you make a decision? Like, which clinic is the right one? I don't know. Just go where the, to the one that's closest to the office. That's mm. what was, was my thought back then. <laughs> and I yeah went in, um, made an appointment. And then it's also like, you know, this whole experience, like fertility clinics are created for couples that have problems with fertility so you go in and say like hey i have an appointment um and then the at the reception they give you like a piece of paper and say like uh, yeah can you fill this out uh, and then you read it on a piece of paper it's like okay name you and your husband and i'm like mm -hmm. well i'm here because i don't have a husband right <laughs> and they're like ah okay you you want to freeze your eggs yeah no problem sit down and then you sit like of course with a lot of couples that you know are suffering a lot and like and you're in there like you know, it's kind of, I'm, I'm cool. Like uh, it's a lifestyle thing for me. 
and it's like this whole experience was weird and even with the doctor yeah. um, I, I walked in and uh, kind of said okay explain to me like how does it work and I expected this like you know like shiny kind of presentation on what what they're doing and kind of she took a piece of paper and started like drawing with her hand like what like the, my my ovaries and so on and was like okay interesting yeah fine I, I got it and then it's like okay how and now last question what does it cost and then she gave me this like super badly copied piece of paper with like a few kind of numbers and I was like okay but what does it mean it's like is it do I have to add it or is it mm -hmm. once or twice or like is it 5,000 or 10,000 like what is it and she's like mm, yeah mm. and she couldn't really answer the question and I was like so so this and there are a few more examples but it's like the entire process was just very frustrating for me And yeah, and so I started complaining a lot. I still started the process, right? But it's like I started complaining a lot. And every time, every weekend, I kind of was with friends and I kind of told them what's happening. And suddenly I realized, okay, a huge group, like the group around me was getting bigger and bigger because everyone was interested. And it's like, okay, how does it work? And like, what is it? And how much does it cost? And I realized, okay, there's something that people are interested in. It's obviously something that, especially in like a certain bubble, it's a topic And I also started complaining and like I have a lot of founder friends in Berlin and like a really good friend of mine, he's he's a founder and he eventually said, Jenny, stop complaining and do something about it. If you if you do this That's like, a great friend. <laughs> yeah. And even better, he said, like, if you do it, I'll be your first angel investor. Nice. Um, exactly. And I was like, Oh, okay, that's that's how it works. <laughs> Interesting. And also his uh, sister is a is a gynecologist and he said, like, yeah, talk to her and like get get a bit of in input. And so this is like how we Things got started. It was like an evening at uh, Maibuchufer in Berlin. We had a few drinks. We got very long, very creative. We started brainstorming names and so on. So this is like how the idea initially got started. And of course, I had like this, the barrier for me was extremely high because I loved working at Adyen. Mm -hmm. Like, why would I quit a job where I earn a lot of money? I love working there. Like, the team is amazing. It's like, I had this perfect set. I thought I'm going to get older, older. And also like the fact that you're going to be a first-time founder. It's like right. a whole different experience. Like, are you ready for this challenge? Are you not ready? Yeah. So, Yeah, but it's like the longer... Finding a co-founder. Also, and, and so, but the longer I talked about or thought about it and I kind of told a few people and everyone said like, oh, Jenny, yeah, I totally see you there. Like, this is like totally, that's a, that's a great topic. And I was like, okay, interesting. But then I don't want to do this alone. I probably need a co-founder. I probably need a female co-founder. That's what I thought, right? So then people made some introductions. I talked to people here and there, but it was like never like this, like, oh, that's it. And then it was like, I think May or so in 2019. And then uh, I visited a friend that I also know from a time in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And it's like, he was a consultant working in Hamburg. And I told him about like my plans and like my struggles. And he was like asking a lot of like, you know, consulting questions, mm -hmm. like how big is the market, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, um, yeah, it's, but it's, I don't know yet, but it's like the opportunity is huge. Um, <laughs> Well, a week later, he actually called me and said, like, Jenny, does it have to be a female co-founder or can you see me Ooh, at your side? And so I you was are like, a good salesperson after kind all. Of, <laughs> kind of. I guess I can be very convincing um, because, like, I mean, that was Toby, like, my co-founder today. And I think that worked just out super, super great. And, yeah, so far, I, I don't regret a single decision there. Mm -hmm. But really, like, I think the, the hardest thing for me to start was, like, really to quit my job. Everything after that just kind of, it's just like a, you're in that hamster kind of wheel thing and mm -hmm. you're just like, it's just going forward. Just like go, go, go. Right. Yeah. And 
So what is the mission with April? I also know that the company has evolved uh, from your first idea and a vision to where it is right now. So maybe you can share a bit about yeah. that more. Yeah, so we started the company more as a B2C company, really focused around egg freezing for women, because that's kind of where my pain, pain point came from. And really where, you know, we thought, okay, that's, that's huge potential. And um, it was pretty much a lead gen model. So we did some yeah, campaigns uh, on Instagram and, and Facebook and said like, hey, woman between 30 and 40, are you interested in a topic? Then answer a few questions, give us your contact details. Then we called them, I called them. Uh, and when they were interested and kind of did a consultation the way I wished I had it back then. And when um, they were interested, we referred them to a clinic and then the monetization happened indirectly through the clinics. Mm -hmm. um, but it was never, we always knew it's never a really strong business model. It's not a business model to be proud of. Um, but it did the job to learn for us to understand like what are actually the pain points of the you know patients, customers, what are the pain points of the clinic side. We, you know, we didn't have any health tech experience, nothing. Um, and that was really cool. And we raised our pre-seed round um, based on that model together with Atlantic Labs and a few angels. But immediately once we had the money, we, we said, okay, but what's next? We knew we didn't want to become the biggest lead gen model for egg freezing in the world. We wanted to have a bigger impact. And for us, the mission never really changed. We always said, you know, we're getting older and older and we're helping kids later and later in life, but our biology is somehow not moving in the same direction. You know, if you think about that um, it actually gets harder to get pregnant at age 35, after age 35, but the average age at first birth is already uh, over 30, at over 30. So there's not so much time left So from a, from a society perspective. Um, and we actually believe that in the long run, if the development continues like that, the majority of the population will need support with reproductive treatments. Mm -hmm. And we said, if we know this, why don't we make it more accessible for people to use these treatments? And then one thing we learned during that B2C time, and that's why I was like, I think good that we did this, is that the biggest barriers for people to start treatments are like three things. It's the lack of information, the stigma, but the biggest one is actually the cost because most of these treatments are self-pay treatments, right? It's like, especially definitely and like- how things, expensive they are. Yeah, I mean, definitely things like egg freezing. I paid seven and a half thousand euros. IVF treatments can easily cost between five to 10, 15,000 euros. And it's just like, even if the or the public healthcare funds or insurances are covering or partially covering, it's usually very discriminating. Like uh, in Germany, the insurances are paying 50% for up to three IVF cycles, but only if you're married in a heterosexual relationship and under 40 as a woman. In the UK, it depends on like the zip code you, you live in. It's like super random. It doesn't make sense. And so we said, okay, it actually should be the job of the of the government to kind of you know, make this like, or create this inclusive world and modern world that we all want to live in, but they're not doing this right now. And then we said, okay, what's the next best institution that actually has Im impact on creating this societal change? And then of course, um, we looked to the US and realized that this whole concept of fertility benefits is actually exploding over there. You know, mm -hmm. like almost 50% of the bigger US companies have some sort of fertility benefit in place. How does it look like a fertility benefit part of the benefit package at a company? Yeah. What does this imply? It varies totally. Like it can be just like one can be just egg freezing, can be just IVF, uh, can be adoption support, surrogacy support. Um, the way that what we chose is like really it's like an inclusive package. So whatever is legal in the country that you're employed in, it's like we're going to support this. It's like really from preservative things like testing, 
egg freezing, sperm freezing, IVF adoption or surrogacy uh, can be supported with like, you know, we, we tell you what your options are. We explain like success rates, risk, what timelines, cost, up to finding like the right clinic, partner and so on uh, until reimbursement of the invoice, so to say. So that's kind of the entire process. Mm -hmm. And how did the companies react to that? So, I mean, that means that you switched from B2C to B2B. Also, right. uh, now it's called April. Early, mm -hmm. it was another name. And how did the companies react? Why are they interested in this? Yeah, I said earlier, like we looked to the US and, and realized, okay, there it's super normal. Like if you don't have it as an employer, you're actually not hip at all. You consider it like not cool. You don't get the, the, the best uh, talents anymore. In Europe, this looks still slightly different because and there's a difference in the, how the market works because in the US, the healthcare system is really bad. So employers always had to kind of take care of these like healthcare costs for their employees. Whereas in Europe, like we actually have an amazing healthcare system, mostly in most countries. So employers never had to pay for these things. So it's like when, when we suddenly like entered the market and said like, so here we are, we built this like new platform. You can kind of do this for your employees. They looked at us and were like, like, why should we do this? Why should I? It's like such a personal thing. Like, why should I get involved in this? Why should I pay for this anyway? And it was like a super hard time for us. We definitely learned the hard way that Germany is probably not the best market to start. But at the same time, we then realized that we can go with the flow a little bit. And what I mean by that is that most of the US tech companies that already had it in the US realized after a while Hmm, it's actually not so fair that like part of my employees have it and the other ones in Europe, they don't get any support. So they are now the ones driving this whole topic and mm -hmm. say like, okay, we actually want to roll this out to our European employees. And we were and still are one of the few providers out there that can actually um, help mm -hmm. them to do this. Uh, and so what, what we're doing right now is like really, if a company doesn't understand it right now, we don't have to capacity and the luxury to kind of convince every company at this point. So we follow a little bit like our strategy is kind of to go with the companies with the focus on the US tech companies and maybe some of the scale ups that understand it, roll it out with them because like they will be the early adopters once they have it. The other companies will also have to follow it. Like it's the same process and, and development that happened in the US were also, you know, it started all with like Sheryl Sandberg announcing it at Facebook and then Google, Google's and Amazon's and so on followed. Right. And then suddenly also more the banks, the, the consulting companies, mm -hmm. the law firms. And today, like 10 years later, you actually have even like the supermarkets offering it for their employees. And so I think like we see now that, you know, we've, we start with the, with the US tech companies and then we, we'll probably see uh, the same development over the course of the next 10 years. There's another topic I wanted to touch upon is infertility. And you mentioned it a bit a couple of minutes before, but why is infertility one of the biggest challenges in the 21st century? Could you open a little bit this more? And also why there are social challenges that comes with infertility? I mean, for us, it's super clear, right? It's like infertility, like 15% of the population struggle with infertility. That's kind of a fact. The problem is that people with an academic background are affected the most. So in Germany, there are numbers that uh, confirm that 50% of women with an academic background do not have kids at age 35, and half of them stay childless. This is mainly because of the age factor. So to say, if you if you study, if you do a career, you usually kind of think about like family planning a little bit later in life. And I think I mentioned it to you earlier, but at age 35, 95% of your Excel reserve are already gone. 
So there's a little bit of a, it's a dilemma that's happening. And we always think about, okay, infertility is, is a female problem. It's not. 50% of all infertility cases are caused by men as well. It's 50 just, or 15? Oh, 50. Like half of wow. the of the infertility yeah. cases are pretty much uh, caused by men. So it's an equal, it's a, it's a problem that's equally distributed. And then on top of that, it's not only like we talk about infertility, but it's also like when you think about same-sex couples, like over 60% of same-sex couples now also want to start families because it's more accepted. They kind of, they feel they can. And the only options they have is either through reproductive treatments or adoption or surrogacy uh, in the end. Um, and so there's like a, there's a huge problem coming up because like all these treatments uh, are also super expensive, what I just explained earlier. And so like, how do you create a world where this is like where more people because we want people to have children right we want like that everyone can start a family and it, i think it's also fair you don't have to be married anymore you don't have it doesn't have to be a heterosexual couple anymore i think this is there's so much more opportunity coming up uh, in the future and that's why i think that's why we always say it's one of the biggest challenges of the 21st century which you're planning to solve for absolutely yeah <laughs> that's the goal that's the goal Maybe there's a particular advice you would give to people in their 20s and 30s to consider. I'm not sure if there's a specific advice, but the, I think what's funny or also frustrating a little bit is that, you know, the first part, like especially for women, right? The first part of our life, all we think about is like how to not get pregnant. We think like every time we have sex, like we can get pregnant, but it's also like no one told us like, you know, even in your early 20s, you only have a 23% chance of getting pregnant every month. And also there's only a limited window where this can happen. Um, and so like everyone gets a pill or kind of some hormonal contraception until they're in their 30s. And then suddenly they realize, oh, Like I only have a few years left and then it gets really hard. So there's this weird dilemma. And I think what's what's important is that, you know, people start thinking about that a little bit earlier. I think that's also it. And it's it's super frustrating for me. And I don't get it. It's like we even in Germany, like we we are supposed to be to go to the gynecologist like at least or kind of twice a year. But still, we have no idea what's going on in our bodies. Like we don't know. Um, and I think this is like a something that, you know, doctors should kind of, this, it's a responsibility. I think they should kind of share this with people and say like, you should be aware of what's going on. And if you don't plan to have kids anytime soon, then maybe think about your options in the future. And I'm not saying like, you know, I froze my ex when I was 32. And I think this is actually a pretty good time. Of course, the earlier you do it, the better it is, because the quality of your ex, of course, is better when you're younger, your excel reserve is higher. So you need um, less cycles to get to the amount that you need. So you pay less money and so on. So it's, it's usually um, better when you do it when you're younger. But I think it's like, I, I always recommend do it in your late when you're in your late 20s or early 30s, because that's when you know kind of where you are in life and what what you want to do. Even for men, I think it's like there's also super interesting options to kind of test your sperm early. For men, it's usually they're a bit, they have it usually a little bit easier because, you know, differently to to women, women are born with all the eggs that I ever have. Uh, and some at some point that reserve is gone. For men, like they produce sperm every day again. And so if they have like for three months, they have a really good lifestyle that they, they, you know, work out, they eat healthy and so on. They have a really strong influence on, on their quality. So I think it's more like being more aware that like, you know, this is uh, our biology is not fertility is not endless. I can imagine that you still are confronted with a lot of stigma when you speak about those topics. Yeah. 
for some reason I don't have a filter on this like I don't I'm just like always talking uh, about these topics all the time I think for me it's super normal and I think then also what happens is that people suddenly open up I think if people somewhat sometimes would see the world the way I see it then they would also see how how big this problem actually is because there's so many stories so many people have touch points with this topic it's just like no one's talking about it because it is like if you if you have to say like I can't get children right now it's like so I always say it's one of the most evolutionary things you have like reproducing kind of and if if you don't fulfill this in your, your the one job you have in life really then it's really hard for people to kind of share this with other people so I think we need more people that talk about this that's why we also when we bring it to companies we always say you know if you launch such a pro, uh, program find people ambassadors that can share like their their personal story to make it more tangible for people to kind of give room and space and a safe space to share these experiences and yeah. um, because it's so many people are affected i think that part with the personal story this is it brings the conversation to a different level i agree with you completely jenny we can talk about it for another hour for sure because you're the first one in the studio opening the topic <laughs> And that's why I'm always very interested and eager to deep dive. But um, here we are coming to an end for today um, of our conversation. And my last question is about your woman author of achievement and who comes to your mind, Jenny. Yeah. So the funny thing is, like, I think you already had like some of the most amazing women that yes, I am on the right uh, track <laughs> <laughs> that that I uh, had the chance to kind of work with and kind of interact with. Another one is like she's actually an angel investor in our company. Her name is Shefali Roy. She's currently raising her own fund based in London, not in Berlin, but um, oh, bummer. <laughs> <laughs> but it, she's amazing. She has been the chief compliance officer at Stripe. She was COO at True Layer and now raising her own fund, like making it really kind of pushing this diversity topic to the next level and just like super inspiring uh, and, and great person. Great. Thank you for sharing her name. So in case I'm in London, I know whom I should uh, text. <laughs> maybe she's also coming to Berlin. I'll let you know. Uh, well, uh, this has to happen. Jenny, thank you so much for uh, joining me for a conversation. I think, as I said, this was so insightful to understand what are fertility and family planning benefits can be at companies, why infertility is such a big problem, understanding your story. And I mean, I love how motivated and conscious <laughs> you are always throughout your life, pushing for like your dreams and your beliefs. And here you are founding your own startup and with your aspirations and with your amazing sales skills, <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be the company of uh, the future. So best of luck. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon. <laughs>